Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Universal Things That You Should Be Aware Of. That's right. With Father Mike. <laughs> We're trying out and a Father J- different John, introduction. I don't, we got Father Chris here know. as well. Catholic this Stuff is gonna be lo- This is going to be a long one. Father Chris, say, say something profound. So, I actually... So, Father Chris, I feel like it kind of sounds cute. Sorry, Father Christopher. I prefer Father yeah. Lebsock or Father Gosh. Christopher. Here I like the full Greek, bearer of Christ, Christopher. Okay. Okay. Versus Chris. I mean, I like my name. Lacey Gallic is loving this right now. Father Lebsock. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Mikey and Father Lebsock here. Father, so. That's Michael Lawrence Rap. Father yeah, okay. Michael Lawrence yeah, we're Rap. All, you guys are all so official now. It's That's great. to be on the same. That's great. Hey, uh, can I embarrass you? Yes. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to embarrass you. Right. I was going to ask about your uh, your Italian story this oh, morning. Oh gosh, should I tell this? Can okay. you tell it? Okay. I, was I gonna, don't. I kind of do. I was going to tell this story um, when but I got I just back like home. It. I find it so. But I'll, we'll tell it right now, just because it's it's really funny and horribly uh, embarrassing. So living in Italy, these guys are pros. They've been here for a number of years, but I'm five and a half months in. <laughs> To this whole Italian shtick. You get classes in Italian, and I have moments where I just want to die. I just feel like I'm in that, I'm a middle schooler again, and I'm in that awkward phase where I like, I know I'm awkward all the time. You look awkward. I look awkward. I feel awkward. And uh, as Goebel would say, your body's changing. And uh, I just, just hate What's it. What's happening? You can't, you can't kind of get, you just have to kind of grow through it. And, you know, your mom loves you no matter how many, you know, cold sores you have and all this different <laughs> stuff. Well, I still get cold sores. He but had a Mondo the, cold sore. had a Mondo right week. smack in the middle. It's Nothing beautiful. worse than FaceTiming somebody with a cold sore. My mother was staring right at it for 20 <laughs> minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, anyways, I'm in, I'm in class this morning. Theology of, this is really embarrassing to tell the story. Thanks, Mike. Father, Sorry, Father Michael Lawrence rap. Um, <laughs> That's better. You haven't even heard this yet, Chris. This just happened this morning. So remember, I've been studying Italian intensively for five and a half months at this point, and I live in Italy. That makes this even more horribly embarrassing. Go on. Friday morning class is The Theology of the Imitation of Christ, is the name of the class, by a French With professor Francois named uh, Laurent Touzet. Laurent Touzet. Who's a very kind of chilly Frenchman, if you know what I mean. No offense, any French people listening, but uh, it can be a little little chilly. And uh, he's a very intimidating character. He's about 6'5", and he um, speaks very quickly. And um, I kind of don't really understand him most of the time. And his class is really hard. And so anyways, I just kind of show up and try and pay attention and then leave. Um, but today during the break, I'm walking out of the bathroom and I'm moving back towards class and I run into him and it's one of these like awkward moments. Like we're on the stairs together oh, and hello. he's going to, and he turns gulps, to me. Huh? Yeah. Big gulps. Huh? We'll see you later. And he, he said, he looks at me and in Italian, he says, are you understanding and following the lessons? And I responded, John, <laughs> John, and he looked at me and he walked away, and I was like, "Oh my lord, I cannot believe I just said that." Are you understanding the lessons, John? John. So yeah, that that says a little bit about my 
Italian competency. Just a little panic moment. Oh, it was a total panic moment. Oh, I just I just sat in the back of the class for the next forty five minutes. I was like, "How did you say that? Why did you say that? That's not even you. You know the word for what is your name?" And he didn't say that. It was just like it was it was awful. So here here we are. Cheers. So. Yeah. Thank you for telling the story. Humbling yourself. Absolutely horrible. The fact is, Napple, Father Nepple is doing a great job to refer once again to the master-slave dialectic of, right. of Hegel. Thank you. The slave has become the master. I'm really proud of him. I think he's making great progress. He continues to fight the good fight. Uh, yeah, he's doing, a great, he's doing a great job. You're good. You His guys, Italian's better than mine. Already. You guys are good Good friends. Thank you. And it's, is, just a, it's just a tough situation. I, my, my favorite image is um, when St. Ignatius of Loyola, he was like a, a really tough military man you know he went to war he got wounded and everything um he had he had lived and then he's called to go um on mission for the lord whatever he's got to go and get an education goes to paris but he never really learned latin so he's got to go sit in this classroom with all of the school children (laughs) and learn his latin for the first time and uh, so there's great pictures in all of the Jesuit art of Ignatius humbling himself, learning Latin with all and the children. school children, yeah. But well, that the kind of language learning is... Oh, man. Of, Anybody who's done it knows, yeah, it's just, it's just has its moments where you're just like, seriously, this is crazy. So anyways, dunque. dunque. That's what he always says. Tuse always says, dunque. Therefore, therefore. Here we go. Dunque. So that's actually a good little lead-in. So what do you do... When you're living in a foreign country and uh, you are losing control, going back to uh, the last week's topic, which was very well done, by the way. Thank you. You're losing control of everything, so you look for other areas of life to control. All right, we all do this in different ways. Mm-hmm. For Father John, it's organizing other human beings, usually, including running your two calendars, day-to-day calendars. Thank right? you for doing that. Right? I need that control. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, planning and organizing things such as the hut trip, sending out these like neurotic choleric emails and that kind of thing. So technology is going to be our little topic tonight. Ah. But in particular, we're going to talk about the anima technica vacua. That's right. right. Okay, the, good. Uh, which was referenced in the, I think it was the Theology of Mountaineering podcast way back in the day. But we've never actually done one specifically on that phrase. We'll talk a little bit about that. This evening, this is a very undeveloped idea, so it's, it wasn't well researched. I love like it; it's great. Mike's thing, Father Rapp's thing. Excuse me. Last week, Father Michael Lawrence. Father Rapp. Michael Lawrence Rapp. And uh, so, anyways, anima technica vacua comes from who made up that phrase? Take one guess. It's not Thomas Aquinas. Scholars maintain it was lost in translation <laughs> yes, hundreds right. of years prior. That's right. Well, so you were just waiting for that moment. <laughs> yeah, well done. Just, he's loading that one. Nice. Well done. Hans Urs von Balthasar, of course. Echo. We should have guessed. Echo cheese. So at the end of his 16-volume trilogy, he has this phrase that he kind of just drops. And in kind of classic Balthasar fashion, he drops this really beautiful and profound phrase and then just kind of moves on. He doesn't treat it. He doesn't explain it. He just says it. Our good father, Raymond Goronsky, is the one who really picked it up and kind of made There's it. no text or context Nothing. at all? No context at all. It's just a line, Bam, just a line. on a page? Yep. Ah. Yep, exactly. In the, I think it's in the epilogue, the last volume, if not in the theologic, somewhere at the end there, but I don't have it here, so I could It's like you. a pensée. Do you remember the pensée? There are the pensées, Pascal. Pascal. That's right. Just like a... 
one liner. Bam, he just puts it out Heraclitus there. used to do that too. Ah, there you go. He says, uh, souls are wet in Hades. And then that's it. Drop. Like, what is that supposed to They're like Zen koans like that. Drop the like mic. The, and, it's supposed and, to be profound, but you don't know what it is. Exactly. And all is flux. All is flux. Yes. That's yeah, that's right. Heraclitus. You never step into the same river twice. That's right. right. That's Pocahontas and Heraclitus. <laughs> Ridiculous. Okay, so anima technica vacua. Here's what I'm. Th- here's why I'm bringing this up tonight. Because if you're Father John Neppel and you go to class and you're a child, basically trying to, you know, mumble out things and you can't articulate anything and you just want to go cry, but you don't really cry because you're German, so you just get angry. And get the let out, things. yeah, exactly, and control people. Um, what you can do is you can get this thing called a computer, and then you can control. What is that? Yes, exactly. Now, for those of you still in the Stone Age using PCs, you don't even know how much control things, and power. Okay, look, there are things that your Mac can't do. Okay, that's right. Right to left scripts, <laughs> Syriac, <laughs> Aramaic, certain Aramaic scripts. Your Mac can't do. Take that. Okay, there you go. The um, anyways, Father Peter Musset was like my sensei on how to do these things called keystroke or um, keyboard shortcuts. So oh, yeah. you don't ever have to use a mouse really with a with a Mac. You can move very quickly. And you learn about a dozen of these stroke commands, and you can just you can just move through anything. And what happens is that sometimes I'll get going so fast that I'm losing touch with I'm lo- literally. And this is the this is the insight that I want to unpack with you guys here. I, the distinction between thought and activity is collapsing. That's what's scary. It makes it makes me think of uh, that classic line of paper shuffling. Paper shuffling. You know, it's like. Uh, just a way of talking about you like you go to work and you're active the whole time you're busy the whole time but you're not really doing anything right you're not accomplishing anything right you're just pushing a lot of quick keys right shifting little boxes and it keeps your mind going but nothing's happening and you're doing a lot of things i'm moving a lot of information and i'm there's a lot of thought going on and i'm doing a lot of things so thought and activity are becoming intertwined so it'll be like one second here it's like oh um, now I know the word for um, how are you doing well. I better put that into my my uh, quick Quizlet oh, yeah. thing so I can practice vocabulary. And then I think to myself, I quoted the word flaccid in the last blog entry that I wrote, and I don't even actually know what that means. I better look that up, dictionary, right? And then I realize, oh, wait a second. got to order our, our tickets in Switzerland for next week for the train between Zurich and Lucerne. Bam, I go over to that. And then I realize, wait a second, I got to update the calendar in the third week of January because we're saying masses for the nuns and we got to change our whole <laughs> so calendar is, that week. This is my life. This is all happening during Laurent Tousset's class. No, no, I, no, I don't what, have... I don't no have, wonder you don't I don't have Wi-Fi in there. On. So I just have to sit there and... <laughs> I have, what I do is... I when <laughs> I when I flaccid. No, I can't, I can't. I don't have Wi-Fi. So I literally sit there and I, I restylize my notes. I'm like, oh, I'll just italicize that word. That looks really nice. You know, change this font. Try this today. That's all I can do. <laughs> yeah. So thought and activity are getting <laughs> blended in my crazy little world. You guys don't have to worry about this because I don't even have Chris's no, telephone I think, number. I mean, I do my share so, of anyways, this anyway, kind of nonsense. This is a confession here. You know, we're all, we're all friends here. So... But some people are listening to this and saying, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. 
So for those of us who get who who go charge, right? I call it the blitzkrieg after lunch when it's like I got to get I have one hour to do administration of my life and take care of all communication. Bam, and uh, it gets crazy, and especially if I do it into the evening, it the mind doesn't shut down. Yeah. So one of the things. So there's. So I guess what I'm proposing is that a lot of times we talk about technology, which is morally neutral, right? It's not a bad thing in itself, but there's right. there's technology and then there's the anima technica vacua, which is something different. So what does that mean, Latin scholars? Anima, soul, soul. Yeah, the soul. technica, I didn't technical. Te- technical, yeah, yeah technical. <laughs> yeah, very impressive. And then technica. vacua. It, like vacuous. empty? Exactly, vacuous, empty, mm-hmm. exactly. So these three words, anima, technica, vacua. Um, so it's like a vacuous technological soul is the phrase that Balthazar is describing. And it's you or it's the technology itself? It's, it's permeating our culture, Western civilization. The anima, technica, vacua uh, it's like the, okay. is replacing the religious form that used to, the form, think about the form, that used to animate the body of civilization. Oh, yeah. So there's this new form. For those of you who are saying, what is he talking about, form and body here? Um, for Aristotle's anthropology, his understanding of a man is that we're body and soul. And the soul is, the anim- it is what animates the body. So a body without a soul is a corpse. Just like in civilization, there's a spiritual dimension, so to speak, that's animating the way that we do things, animating the body. So we're walking around mm. here all the time. And we're seeing things, and we're in this beautiful Rome and this church everywhere, but the soul of the culture has changed, just like it has back home, you know, in the United States. It's the anima technica vacua now. And that makes me think of like, just we might as well be robots. Right. Because we're just doing a bunch of stuff, but there's not a whole. I mean, the the vacua, the the emptiness. Emptiness. There's no depth, there's no nothing profound, there's nothing. Right, and so I Rich think, or colorful, and, and that's what I want to focus on tonight. Is a lot of times we talk about technology and like how people can kind of reinvent themselves. That's fine. We talk about that a lot. You know, you can create a Facebook page and basically kind of reestablish yourself. We talk a lot about the effects of relationships. You know, so you don't know how to have real friendship at a certain point. Everything yeah, becomes virtual. Right. The new virtual social world, networking. new social network. Those are all important topics and effects. But what I'm more interested in is the relationship between thought and activity in the anima technica vacua versus what it was prior to that. So uh, let's step back in history for a second here. I don't have any notes, so if this is kind of strange, no, I like it. Just I go like for it. The well. last you got you got a comment shifting over to Lebsack. We're, we're sharing mics, so I just do it at random. I do have a comment, and that comment is. Despite having the anima techna vacua, we all die at some point. And you see people in an ICU setting who have lived reality in the anima techna vacua, basically doing techne, functional things for their whole life, in a way, taking the focus away from the deeper problems, the deeper questions of life, and putting it toward doing and functioning and distracting and anesthetizing. And then they find themselves on their deathbed and it's panic Mm -hmm. versus those 
who have come to know God and develop a relationship with them. And for those people, death is beautiful. Amen. Well done. I think that that's right on. It's, it's just, this doesn't make any sense except for at the end of life. And then it becomes a question of meaning. And that's what we'll get to here in a second. Let's yeah. go back. Let's go back 500 years. The modern age is marked by revolution. We've been undergoing a series of revolutions that have been um, happening progressively since, really since the end of the Middle Ages. The first of those revolutions was a philosophical revolution. It's important okay. to recognize that that begins first with Descartes, but even before Descartes, kind of with the Renaissance, and Sister Prudence always hammered us on that. It really, Descartes wasn't the beginning, but the, De- the Cartesian thing really did start a revolution. It shifted the world from theocentrism to anthropocentrism, to man as the center of the universe instead of God as the center of the universe. Right. I make the world exactly the whole the whole world kind of revolves around the way I understand it exactly it is and I'm a part of it right and one of the interesting things is the cogito right cogito ergo sum I think therefore I am so it becomes thought right for the first time in history we become more interested in thought than we do in knowledge that's a huge distinction thought and knowledge we'll come back to this a little later Hmm. As we move on, the next thing that happens, which is based in that philosophical revolution, is a theological revolution with Protestantism, right? So Luther and and everything that happens there. And we could go into all of these individually, but we don't unfortunately have time. You continue on and you start into the political revolutions. So all right. of a sudden, the Lutheranism is built and creates this political revolution in Germany, and then it becomes the United States and, uh, and France and the world kind of falls into this, but especially in France, that's when Europe really experiences this profound revolution moment. Mm-hmm. Um, following that, the, the century after that, 19th century, is really marked by economic revolution. So you have the introduction of two, the two great systems that have uh, affected even up to our day, which yeah. is capitalism and, and communism. And you could talk about a technological, industrial revolution. Right, So in, exactly. Revolution. So the economic revolution is really what sets the possibility of what will later become the technological revolution. The economic revolution, though, leads into World War, and the World War I is really the collapse of the modern project, and then something else is born. The post-World War world begins the revolution, but it begins a diff- it's different. It's not modern anymore. It's a, it's a new kind of post-modern reality, and the two great revolutions since the collapse of modernity are sexual revolution and the technological revolution. And in my opinion, they go hand in hand. That one of the, the great crises that happens, one of the reasons why sexuality is so crazy right now is because of the technological revolution, which was deeper than just, you know, Steve Jobs invented the, the, the Mac or something like that. It's far deeper. It's the literally the replacing of stability, of order, of purpose, of intention, of the whole logic of society becomes about techne, right? About making things. Hmm. And the sexual revolution is kind of the anthropological fallout of that. This is, again, if Terry Wright's listening to this, he's probably going to freak out. This is our old philosophy professor, but this is my read on it. There's much more to this than just technologies, you know, giving us this new power. There's something deeper here. Something that's that's just really unsettling that Balthazar was pointing to. It's 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 kind of it's a kind of soul, so to speak. 
And I think that the um, we haven't really recognized this. We're just kind mm-hmm. of living to this. And, and you realize this when you see, you know, we live in a tourist spot here. So when, you, when we walk down past the Pantheon and you see a thousand people with their selfie sticks, or even worse, you're in St. Peter's and all these people, usually middle-aged, no offense, with their iPads as cameras, when did this become a good idea to use an iPad? It's like, well, there goes my view of the Pope right now. So oh, it's all these true. IPads There's a thousand up. of them in the air. Oh, everybody it's raises insane. it up. It's it, they. I, I always thought they could make a great iPad commercial at one of these papal events because oh, yeah. there are so many of these things in the air. It's like people are. I don't know. It's like an offering or something to God. Everybody's lifting this thing. Lift up your iPads. And if you're standing in the back of the crowd <laughs> and you don't have this thing, you're lifting up to the Lord. Then you're just looking at the sea of iPads. You can't even see the what's going on out there, except you're you're looking at the the iPad in front of you to see kind of the report of what's happening. Exactly, it's crazy. It's crazy. And again, the um, the we're just kind of droids. Everybody's just kind of doing this, you know. Like, oh, let's just get our selfie sticks and our iPads and our Macs, and we'll just be like Father John and just go through this blitzkrieg and just do a lot of things. So this is not good. This is obviously not good. We need to kind of change the way we're living, and that's why we're Christians, because we're not, we don't well, feel comfortable Well, can I ask you, though, like, just, I don't know, this isn't quite a devil's advocate, but, um, so why? Why do we do these things? Why would everybody be lifting up their iPad in the in the air? Why do we, why do we put pictures on Instagram? And why do we post on the Facebook? Right. And why do we, I think part of it is like, we're actually trying to relate to people right and something about life keeps us distant in a way that maybe it's safe maybe it's easier to to relate this way but there's also something that's just kind of practical we make a lot of friends we want to keep them in touch so you put pictures on the absolutely whatever the technology i think it's ultimately about relationships whether or not it's actually helping those or and providing think- something deep you know Absolutely. And I don't, I don't really, I mean, before we started podcasting, I was FaceTiming our friend Maggie Cure back in Denver, you know, and it's, it's amazing to be able to to see her and to talk to her for a little bit, you know? Yeah. And certainly as a, as a medicine man, you know, that the advances that have come with technology in terms of medicine, it's like, it's remarkable and amazing. So we're not saying this is bad, but there's something beneath it here. Why are we doing it? And there's a lot of good, Mm. a lot of good. But I want to kind of go into the depths here a little bit and just offer two points. For me, the craziness of the anima technica vacua is rooted in, and the reason why thought and activity are becoming intertwined is because they both have lost their telos. They both have lost their purpose. Okay. They're, they're just kind of aimless. When you lose God... What do you ultimately lose? Well, you lose the ultimate end of all things, right? One of Aquinas' proofs, here's our token Thomist here on my right, is is the, the proof from the teleological, right? So that te- telos is the Greek word for... For the end or the But like, yeah, goal. like the purpose, so the goal, yeah, the reason, purpose. right? There's, a, mm-hmm. there's an ordering towards something. And God is the... And, and our understanding of creation is teleological. If you lose that, then, then thought doesn't have... And a purpose doesn't—it's not mm. going anywhere. There's no object, and activity doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have an object. It's just kind of crazy. 
Crazy, crazy. And that's one of the marks of, I think, the postmodern world. With that collapse that happened at World War One. Mm. all of a sudden, it's everything's kind of more um, untethered from being, from purpose, from reason. And one of the reasons I've thought of this is I was going to say, you know, even the word thought, as Catholics, that word should make us nervous because... We're not about thought. We're about knowledge. We're about wisdom. We're about knowing the truth and conforming the intellect to the truth, right? Correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay, good. Balthazarians can like Thomas, right? Yeah. Oh, Balthazar always presumes Thomas. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, just read Thomas, read Balthazar, you'll see it. Exactly. Uh, a favorite line of mine uh, is God always forgives Man sometimes forgives, and nature never forgives. Our human nature is made for more. We're made for infinite truth, infinite love. If you're not accessing that in some way, especially through God, especially through Jesus Christ, the Word made man, Nature will revolt, and it's going to revolt in a form of anxiety that everybody lives with. Uh, and in, right now, it's a technical anxiety. Right. That's right on. And, and the, responses, the responses stay busy. Do something. Something will improve if we just stay busy. Even this idea, it's kind of a modern thing, but this... Uh, talk about progress there's always this sense in the in modern thinking of progress the world is making progress everything is progressing everything is getting better somehow and part of part of that is um this technological is connected to the whole technological phenomenon um if we keep moving technology forward, whether it's medical, whether it's uh, computers, whether it's something about our knowledge of or our ability to contact planets or something like that, somehow we're making the world a better place. But it's, it's not asking the question, what is a better world? Right. It's just saying, keep moving. Keep moving, and that means we're moving forward. And I, I think this modern thing, um, we live kind of one foot in the modern and one foot in the postmodern. Postmodern thought often has a sort of skepticism about the whole progress project that I kind of buy into. I'm I'm kind of with it. I say, uh, how 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 exactly are we progressing? How are these things making the world better um, on their own, or just by virtue of the fact that we're developing more technology? We can do things faster. We can do things more efficiently. Um, we don't need as many people for jobs, these kind of things. Um, so it's, it's, it's just the, the kind of question, of, is there a connection? I think in a lot of people's thought, there's a connection between technological progress and somehow social progress or progress of the world. And um, I, I just want to challenge that yeah. assumption. You know? I, I totally agree. It's, it's, not, it's, it's that modern optimism is still... There, like, well, things are just getting better, and yeah, they just the, will. I, they will. the iPhone 12 or whatever is coming out next. You know, that'll that'll make the world better, and if I have that, my life will be better. And I think we're kind of saying, wait a second, this is crazy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you guys on that. Um, 
another fruit of this, I'm looking at this phone here. I'm looking at my phone. Isn't that funny? As I'm yeah, yeah. looking at a note here. I, he's, I think he's looking up flaccid. Flaccid. What is flaccid actually? <laughs> Chris. The, um, uh, oh no. The, uh, so I read this line from John Paul II, and it's kind of tangentially, uh, but one of the things you were just talking about is this, this kind of phrenic activity, phrenic activity. And that was another word I had to look up. I got called that in seminary yeah. one time. I'm phrenic. I was like, what the Frenetic. Hell is, what does that mean? Frenetic. I'm frenetic. Yeah. I'm going all the time. Okay. I'll try and change that, you know, in seminary. Um, but John Paul II talked about this frenetic thing is activism, activism, which he says is the only is viewed as the only real form of a fulfilled living. Isn't that crazy? That in, in uh, I think especially in the United States or Northern Europe, not here in Rome, because nobody's doing anything in Rome. Trust <laughs> yeah. me. The guys at the post office are not <laughs> been like, we need to be committed to activity today. They're just like, how long can yeah. we waste no, time? The Italians are grounded. They it's true. It's beautiful. Coffee, they chill. It's true. But the it's the only it's the only form of fulfilled living. Um and what that leads to, and this is sweet, a minimalist ethic and a shallow religiosity. Those are the words of John Paul. The activism Paul. leads to activism leads to a shallow, a minimalist ethic and a shallow religiosity. I read that line and I was like, "The guy is a rock star." Yeah, that's good. Amazing. Did the Italians ever have a, this work ethic? <laughs> no, just like because minimalistic, at least minimalistic. I I should be kinder to Italians. It's it's a minimalistic no, they're not ethic. They're not worried about activism. A minimalistic <laughs> ethic and uh, and um, and shallow religiosity, and mm. I think that's that's what we're seeing. You know, um, that just kind of sick, shallow. Everything's great. They believe in God, but it really doesn't matter. That dis, this separation from your life and in your faith. You know. So, anyways, um, two last final things here, and then well, and then to let conclude, me comment about the. The ethic, minimalist ethic. Uh, yeah, I, I, things are just dumbing down. Live and let live. Right. That sounds really nice. It does not work out to be a really healthy world and a good system for relating to people. Um, it's not as simple as that. There's real problems in our real world. And if you just say, uh, I, like ethics comes down to um, let people be nice right. or whatever. Um, you're, you're not going to make much progress. You're not even going to help your own life because people want to know, like, how do, I, how do I live a good life? How do I make progress as a good person? Right. And but we're all good people. It's not people. just stay busy. That's part of the problem right now is that we're all really good people, and we don't, we don't need to change. We just need to be ourselves because we're, we're all good. And it's like, wait a second. I'm I'm not good, right? I'm certainly not good at Italian, but go ahead. We had this conference for like priests who are within the first five years of being ordained, and this image was was given in the conference by a psychologist of a of a dog in an electrified kennel, and so this dog, no matter where it goes in the kennel, it gets shocked in this study. It clearly an unethical study, <laughs> but. But what does he says? What does the dog do? What does the dog do when it's getting shocked from all sides? In the end, it just lies down and takes it. I mean, that's when I think of a minimalist ethic and shallow yeah. relig- religiosity. Just lay it's down. It's a dog in an electrified kennel. That's right. Just flip on the TV and just 
Right. Now let's talk for a second yeah, about lay down and die. thought and activity, and then I want to talk about Christmas. Then we're going to close with Christmas. Yeah, we're running okay. out of time. What do you think of this book, Mike? Oh, that's a, that's a cruel question. Just go ahead. Be honest. So we're supposed to be reading uh, James Joyce. Father John and I took a, uh, a little trip to Ireland, and we were inspired to read great literature of Ireland, which in recent times includes the work of James Joyce, James a great Joyce. literary figure of our century, of the past century. That's right. But he, Father John gives me this book to read. <laughs> remember that this I... This was your idea. My, Do you remember My that? work is to read books all day long, and then at the end of the day, I'm supposed to somehow enjoy this book that's like a thousand pages of one guy rattling on about his his uh, train of thought. One day, June 16th, 1904, in the life of, of uh, Le- uh, Leopold Bloom and Stephen Dedullus, this is Ulysses by James Joyce. The reason I bring this up... And it is celebrated as one of the right. great works of literature. The reason I bring this up is because we learned a lesson, which is we need to read the number of pages in a book before we order the book, right? In terms of literature, because this is like out of yes, control. Yes, lesson learned. Lesson learned. <laughs> but the other thing is, as I've started to read it, um, this is the best portrayal I've ever read of thought disconnected from, real- from truth. Mm. It's just thought. And he's a genius in the way he's portraying it, but it's tragic in that this is reality. And it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Mm. It's, he's, he's brilliant. Uh, I'm Dedalus, the character you're following. It's his thought, and this is how modern man thinks. It's totally disconnected from... from there's, no, there's no orientation. There's no purpose. There's no, there's no truth. There's no, it's not going anywhere. And likewise, his activity is just kind of random. And it's kind of cool. The, the whole point of the book is it plays on the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey. Right. And it, it, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, the way that he makes these connections. Yeah, it is, really. But at the end of the day, you're saying there's no purpose to this. There's no purpose. And, that's, and I, I wonder, that's see, now I'm not far enough in the book to know if he, is, if he betrays a sort of criticism of that. Does he recognize that this is a frustrating reality of our contemporary world? That this stuff doesn't go anywhere, but it doesn't have to, you know. And even in his craft, he doesn't have to be saying anything about truth. He just has to be entertaining people or doing something creative. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're exact, not exactly yeah, we're not literary, <laughs> literary types. And we're, so, stay tuned. In four years from now, when we finish it, we'll let you know how it goes. But I'm, I was struck by this is, and he's a fallen away Catholic. I mean, he is officially. He died without the sacraments, you know. Mm-hmm. So he is a he's committed to this and he has critiques of the church in this. But I, the reason I wanted to read it was I was like, it's important to understand how modern man thinks. Sure. And this is scary because this is not, this is very, very far from the nativity. And that's what we're going to close with here tonight. Mm. This is far from Mary at the, at the crib in the cave on Christmas night. And, um, I was doing an Ignatian meditation on the nativity this morning in our holy hour. And I was, it was interesting because he was using this book as my thought compared with what was going on and the snow was falling and Ignatius lets you use your imagination. Yeah. Um, Bethlehem was up in the Val d'Aosta up in the Alps, which is great. So, and the snow was falling outside of the cave. You have a good imagination too. And I was, my job was to kind of keep the fire going, but it was a moment of perfect stillness. Everybody was just quiet. 
and 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 completely still and the child was asleep and Mary was just just right there contemplation is what teaches us how to find our end again to see the purpose of things we have to stop thinking and we have to stop doing mm. in order to understand why ask the question of why and if we don't ask that question if we don't ever stop then we end up living this kind of chaotic existence, which is the anima technique of aqua kind of takes over our soul. So it was an inspiration wow. for me to say, we're going on silent retreat next week. I got to shut it down. I got to shut the computer off, leave yeah. Joyce behind and enter into the retreat so that I can actually get back in touch with what really matters here, which is the real purpose of thought and activity, which is God himself. Contemplation. Yeah. I, it's a beautiful image, and the way you describe your your meditation, your prayer, um, it, it it makes me think I would really love that. I would like to be like Mary, um, quiet, contemplative, gazing on this uh, on this scene and asking why. Uh, but that seems also very difficult for me at this yeah. point. Because of this stuff, because right. my mind is so wound up, because my life tends to be so wound up with lots of activity and things. and So even winding down is difficult. And we've had some training in that. And I mm-hmm. think that's a great gift of the kind of Catholic reality we've been formed in and, and have lived in for long enough to be able to stop at least for an hour of Mass or an hour of prayer or, um, get into a retreat, you know, but a lot of people don't have that. So I just encourage everybody out there to take time to stop, to pray. And even if it's boring, even if it's slow to be able to, uh, trust that it's doing something and it's going deeper. Absolutely. We got to go. Oh, shoot. Did that record? It just snapped off. Good. It's still recording. Oh, it's okay, still- good. Oh, 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 I almost had a heart attack. Okay. We got to go. We're done here. Speaking of hustle, now we got to think and we got to act it. Shout outs. I, oh, Chris, sorry. Well, I just I love hearing what you're going through in your holy hour because we're all sitting in the same place, the three of us, around the tabernacle uh, in the Jesu, this church at this location where, where St. Ignatius began the Jesuits. And we have this image of the sacred heart. And you go before the tabernacle with this image of the sacred heart above it. And you wake up and your mind starts racing with all these thoughts of everything you got to do in this technical world. And at some point, you have to actually acknowledge what's going on and feel it. You got to feel it. You got to reincarnate and then give it to our Lord and say, Lord, where does this get meaning? I cannot give these things meaning. You got to bring the meaning. And you got to take me out of my thoughts make me free to just feel what's going on, but trust that despite the pain of it, uh, you're going to make good out of it. And in the end, like peace will reign. Uh, Amen. I think just practically what I would conclude with is to try and live what Father Chris is saying, because you're saying I'm in the world. How do I do this? Don't start your day with technology. Don't end your day with technology. Turn your phone off a half hour before you go to bed. And don't look at it for the first hour, half hour you're up. If you do that, it's good advice. It changes. It changes things big time. Okay, shout outs. And then we got to hustle here. Finish up. Luke Carey, Michael Gormley, and uh, Gormley's friend John 
Drindalzi. Drindalzi. I always screw up these names, so <laughs> sorry, John. But uh, Gormley and Luke Carey. Luke Carey, great guy from uh, We Knew Back in the Deborah Days. He sent us an email, so thanks for them listening. Here's an apology slash shout out. Shauna Zelinsky from Zelinsky Motors, right? Zelinsky Auto. What is it? I care for the American person. I care for the American person. Because that's what I am, and that's what I care for. Tommy boy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Smart. Shauna Zelinsky got married in September on August, or September 5th, and she invited us to the wedding. That's great. Thank in you. In Minneapolis. But, um, congratulations. Never, so she's now, whatever Isaac's last name is, but congratulations. Thanks for listening. And I have a letter for you. I promise it's coming. The more children, all of them, Jacob, Asher, Amika, is that right? Amika. Dressed up like ninjas from Manitou, Canada. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you for you guys for listening. And then lastly, two youth ministers down in Florida, Dunedin, Florida, were sold out by their teens who sent us a Facebook message and said, give yeah, me a shout out, Sarah and Corey. Thanks for listening. So that's it for shout outs for me. You got him? Okay. Pass it over. Yeah, first, uh, Miss Mary Kettering's like various freshman classes. I got to talk to them at this world religions course, and Miss Kettering, she really cares about her students. She goes around the world to find people to talk about these world religions who know firsthand. So, uh, to that freshman class in Chicago, Illinois, and to Miss Kettering, very nice, as well as the University of Montana Grizzly football team. Uh, Miss Kettering was a track athlete in Montana, but uh, my youngest brother, Connor Lebsock, just finished up their season last weekend. A loss to North Dakota State University, a great team, formidable opponent, uh, but to the Montana Grizzlies and to many conversions that the Lord is working on that team. Well done, Connor, a true mensch. Now he can change his focus from football too. His vocation. Moving on. Okay. To the vocation. Blessings, everybody. Thanks for listening, and thanks for letting us go Have along a great on this Christmas. one. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Merry Christmas. Buona Natale. And we'll talk to you next time.